let's, um, Sunday mornings, this, this kind of service, you get really used to people talking to you the whole time, singing to you, you get to sing, that's the fun part, you get to participate when it's, when it's singing. Thank you, BJ Fisher, for being here. We love you. Let's give it up for BJ. Then I, like me, Ian, BJ, whoever, we pray like for you, you know, and you get to agree if you want or whatever. But there's very little time for you to actually just sit there with your own thoughts and sit there with the Holy Spirit who's right now present with me, with you personally, with us collectively. That's fun. So I just want to give you a moment. We're just going to be quiet for a minute. And this is the awkwardness. We're not going to have BJ vamping in the background to take away the awkwardness. We just get to sit with it. But I want you to not sit with the awkwardness. I want you to sit with the Spirit. Maybe you say something. Maybe you pray. Maybe you think on a scripture. Maybe you just go silent to to whatever the Spirit is doing or saying, or maybe it's just silence. So let's just be quiet for a minute, okay? Sorry to cut in awkwardly, but keep your eyes closed, please. As I was sitting here, I got a wave of emotion flowed, flowed into me and through me, and I just felt. So just a warning, keep your eyes closed because I don't feel awkward crying in front of you, but um, I feel like I used to be more charismatic than I was, than I am now, I'm sorry. But I still feel like I hear that voice of the Spirit occasionally, if you know what I'm talking about. And I still feel like I'm taking into deeper waters. And just as I close my eyes with you guys, I felt this wave of emotion. And Jesus just saying, I want you to just let them know how much I love them. So pastorally, I just want you to sit, could you sit with that for about 30 seconds now? I, Jesus, I think just telling you, I just want you to tell them how much I love them.
And so, Jesus, now as best we can, we receive that love. We take it in. Even if for some of us it might be really hard to believe. Even if we've been told opposite things. Even if we believed those opposite things. We receive that heart that just says, I would just want you to tell them how much I love them. And I still bask in the glow of the bridge of Great Are You, Lord, that says all the earth, every single thing in existence, scriptures even say the rocks will cry out, all the earth will praise your name. And I just want to tell you, Jesus, I can't wait for that day. And I want to help bring that sooner I want to be a person who's in advance of all the earth as much as possible. We're just saying, great are you, Lord. So would you just take advantage of this time, this silly little half hour, 40 minutes that I get to talk. Would you take advantage of it and bring us closer to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Teach us how to live, how to, how to move and have our being in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sorry if that was awkward for anyone. But I like it. Uh, I've got a question for you. And this is really, really major question, all right? So get ready. Beloved, and I have to say beloved before this, beloved, have you been born again? Maybe let me say that in a different way. Beloved, have you been born again? Some of you are wondering what kind of church this is. If you're old enough, like me, maybe my age and above, this idea of being born again, those two words are very familiar, right? Like, we don't talk about born-again Christians too much anymore, but when I was growing up, friends, that is all the people talked about in the church, being a born-again Christian. This idea of being a born-again Christian, that's the label that we give ourselves. I'm a born-again Christian. And that means that I'm a better Christian than you, by the way, right? Like, you have Catholics who might be Christian. This is what we used to think. I don't think this anymore. Just saying, so you know, we have Catholics who might be Christian, and all the high church people, they miss the, the deal, but then maybe they're in. But see, we are born again Christians here, right? This idea of being a born again Christian rose to prominence in a little bit in the 60s with the Jesus People Movement. Does anybody, do you know the Jesus People Movement? When I was post college, I stayed at Japuza. There's this literal commune. In uptown Chicago, this high-rise, not a high-rise, it's like 13 stories tall or something, and I stayed overnight, but it's it, it, people living in common, kind of trying to live out Acts 2. It's super weird, but pretty fun. You can literally go there today 
and they're still there doing their thing, the Jesus people, the Jesus freaks. So they brought in this, a little bit of the idea of being a born-again Christian, but then this guy named Chuck Colson, who was actually like kind of part of the, the Watergate situation with Richard Nixon, he became this really prominent evangelical writer, author, leader, and everything, and he wrote a book called Born Again, and this word starts taking off. And then it really took off when Jimmy Carter, a can- then-candidate for president in 1976, was doing an interview, and they asked him about what's your religion, and he said, I'm a born again, he said it like this, I'm a born again Christian. And it took off like wildfire. By 1980, four years later, all three candidates, and yes, there was a third candidate, all three candidates in the 1980 presidential election identified as born again Christians. It's taking over. When all three of your candidates identify as that one religion and that type within that one religion of born again, it turned into a thing, right? That's all I heard about when I was growing up. Are you born again? I want to ask another question, not are you born again, but I want to ask, do you think, I want to submit to you, actually, let me, before I ask a question, I want to submit to you that I think this idea of born again Christianity It seems so old school for me to be talking like this. But this idea of born-again Christianity. Raise your hand. How many of you know this culture, were raised in this culture, lived in this culture? I just want to see. That's a lot of us. What if this idea of being born again is actually more destructive than helpful to our spirituality? Don't tell my mom I said that, by the way. (laughs) What if this idea of identifying as a born-again Christian or saying I've been born again was actually kind of destructive to our discipleship journey? See, the reason that I think this idea of born-again Christianity or being born again, yes, I know it's biblical. We're going to dive into it. That's why I'm talking about it. This idea of this born-again Christianity, I think, cultivated two unhealthy dynamics. The first is it doubles down on this, this notion of individualistic, Americanized Christianity, right? This is what I grew up with, that I have, who, who else said these words, a personal relationship with Jesus, right? We're hitting all the buzz, buzzwords from the 80s and 90s. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Beautiful, brilliant. I hope every single one of us has a personal relationship with Jesus. I really do. But for many of us, for a long time, that's where it started and that's where it stopped. Personal relationship with Jesus. See, Christianity was never, and I would say, I would debate this with anyone, Christianity was never meant to be an individualistic religion. Christianity from the jump, friends, for the last 2,000 years, has always been designed to be a communal, familial even, I would say, form of spirituality. It's why we do silly things like this, or then gather in homes even more relational and together, so it's not just a one-on-one thing. It's my issue with online church, and I know there's people who need online church, and I know they're because of work schedules, because of your disabled nature, or because of your 
immune-compromised situation, so I love you online, but, but it's why I struggle with it, because Christianity was never meant to be a solo religion, spirituality. It's collective. So that's, that's one thing, but that's not what the sermon's about. Also, I think the problem, the other problem I have with this idea of being born again or born again Christianity is that it's very, let's see if anyone can guess it, it's a T word. I'm really asking you, T word. All right, I'll save us from this awkward moment. Transactional. Right? It, it has fostered this idea of this transactional form of spirituality that I pray the sinner's prayer. I believe in Jesus because I've been shown this metaphor of a cross going across the, cattle, the Grand Canyon of my sin which separated me from God, right? Praise the Lord. And then I can, I'm good with Jesus. I'm good with God because of what Jesus did because I believe in Jesus. Now I'm good to go. Now I get to play video games and, and scroll social media until Jesus comes back. Praise the Lord. That's not Christianity. See, Christianity is this lived, embodied spirituality that we grow and move and, and discover and get formed more and more and more into the likeness of Christ every single moment of every single day until you die and see Jesus. And you do that together. Are you with me? Like that sounds like Christianity, that sounds like something that you signed up for, that you're thinking about, that you're dabbling your toes in the water of? This idea of born-again Christianity maybe has been a little destructive to actual, uh, an actual discipling journey. So this morning, we're going to, just, just, just in case you don't think, think ah, I don't know, this doesn't sound biblical. Let me read you the end of John 2. We're going to be beginning John 3, which is probably the most famous section of the entire Bible, literally. In John 2, end of John 2, last week we talked about Jesus clearing the temple courts. And you should listen to it if you didn't, just because there's a lot. It, it was a fun one that there's questions in it. It seems like there's inconsistencies in the scriptures, and it just kind of comes together. But at the end, it says, Now while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he were, was performing and believed in his name. Praise Jesus. They're born again. Right? But Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. See, it seems like there's something that's not enough right there. They saw the signs, they believed in him. But Jesus is still like, I'm not, I'm not buying it. Right? You can just tell me afterwards if you disagree. So then we come to this idea of being born again. This is John 3, and we're going to, I'm going to read the whole chunk for us. We're not going to even, we're going to go 12 verses into John 3. We're not going to hit John 3.16. That's for two weeks from now. But because there's just too much here, friends. But we're going to flesh out this idea maybe of what it means to be born again, what Jesus was talking about. And we're going to go through this section because it is beautiful and loaded. But let me read it for us all in one to begin with. Now, there's a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's an important dude in their world. He came to Jesus at night, interesting, and said, Rabbi, 
So he, this is a Pharisee speaking to Jesus, and he says, teacher, rabbi, giving Jesus authority. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Ding. How can someone be born, of, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Can you just picture his, his shock? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth, birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. This, the wind blows wherever it pleases. This is like a little mini parable in the midst of a conversation. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus ain't buying it. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. <laughs> Jesus, you are, you are Israel's teacher, he said. And still you don't understand these things? What are we doing? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony, you people. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? So let's just work our way through this text. Is that okay? We're going we're gonna to do what the good Bible people call exegetical study here. And we're just going to work our way through the text. First thing we find here, forgive me for no elaborate notes, Shelly Schmore is our worship, or pastor of discipleship. She's amazing. She also does administrative work for us, kind of just like, just make sure it's all done. So no Shelly, no slides. I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to do it. I just don't know how to do it. Praise the Lord for Bible verses up there. So first thing that I notice in here is that Jesus is talking to a religious leader. Now that's interesting to me because just in the previous chapter, if you were here last week, you'd remember Jesus started a fight with the religious leaders, right? John begins this narrative of Jesus' ministry with Jesus clearing the temple, as a matter of fact, many scholars believe, and I think they're right, that this happened at the end of Jesus' ministry, but John chose to put this occasion of Jesus clearing the temple at the very beginning of his ministry to, for, for symbolic reasons to say, this is what Jesus' ministry was. It's first of all, all marching towards the cross. The whole of Jesus' ministry is a trajectory of marching towards the cross to redeem and renew all things. And... The whole of Jesus' ministry is what got him killed by the religious leaders, got him hated by the religious leaders. So Jesus, in the first thing that we just read is that Jesus confronts the religious leaders and obviously really has a hard time with the religious leaders. And if, you, if, you, if this sounds unfamiliar to you, you just haven't spent enough time in the Gospels because if you spend enough time in the Gospels, you'll realize and see really quickly Jesus and the religious leaders didn't get along real well sometimes. Matter of fact, oftentimes, if, I, if, I, if you would ask me, what is one people group Jesus really just kind of, that got under Jesus' skin, it would obviously be the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? And they're just people like me, church leaders, televangelists, denominational leaders, popes, the, all the religious establishment Really, Jesus had a hard time with, and we, we, we get chronicled and documented in the Gospels of Jesus getting into it with them over and over and over again. But here, Jesus is actually, in the evening, 
I love just having somebody over, having a fire maybe, and just chatting when it's dark out. That's what Jesus is doing here with Nicodemus. Jesus is engaging with this religious leader, right? Which tells me something that really challenges me. Just just this conversation alone that Jesus has with with Nicodemus challenges me. And I'll bet it's going to challenge you too. Because here's here's why. Jesus, even though he's got this people group, this, this group of people who set themselves against him and who he vehemently disagrees with, and I think is kind of troubled that he, you could hear it in him. You're Israel's teacher and you don't get it. These guys, and they are, are all guys, are leading his, Jesus' people astray. Like that's personal business, right? And even still, Jesus is willing to sit down and have a conversation with this guy. How many of us have family relationships that have been fractured? How many of us have relationships that just floated apart in the last three years, right? How many of us, because of politics or religion even, have just, I can't be around that person anymore? And for some of us, for some of you, that might be, that, there might be a, a person where that's most healthy for you. But in general, Jesus meeting with Nicodemus here is teaching us and challenging our culture because our culture thinks, I need to only be around people that I agree with. I need to only be around people that I like and that like me and that we see the same things. And it comes, like, on everything. Could you see yourself in Jesus' shoes having a conversation with that person who said, I don't know if you're a Christian anymore? Or with that person who said, and again, some of us, just, just let this, this isn't for you. Let it go over your head. All right? But for many of us, we've let these divisions actually tear apart people and relationships. That's challenging to me. That's the first thing. Then the second thing that I want to think about here this morning is just Nicodemus for a second. First of all, there's this really interesting thing. We're going to encounter a number of conversations Jesus has during this study in the Gospel of John. If you're here for the first time or for the first time in a long time, we're just going to be going through the Gospel of John for about, I don't even know, a year-ish maybe? We're going to go through until we're done. And I don't have a schedule. We're just going to go through as we go through, however, however, however it rolls. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus has many conversations. It's the, kind of the thing that, Je- the, that the writer of the Gospel of John highlights. But most of those conversations, most of those people that Jesus engages with are unnamed. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the Samaritan woman. We don't know her name. There's many other encounters that, with people that are unnamed. For, for some reason, Nicodemus is named. And we're, Nicodemus, if we're paying attention, is going to pop up a couple more times. Defending Jesus at one point later in the gospel narrative. And then even helping Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus. So Nicodemus is going to be this interesting character, but also this idea of Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. Now, I just painted this picture of having a bonfire with a friend. That's not exactly what's going on here. Most scholars think there's a reason that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. 
And why is that? Because he didn't want to be seen with Jesus, right, Eric? Because who would have gotten angry at Nicodemus if they knew he was with Jesus? Tell me. They're religious leaders. Now, if you think I'm going too far with this, you can, but sometimes, seems like, if you really want to live in that Jesus way, you might get some religious leaders and religious people mad. I've experienced that personally. Is anybody else? You don't have to raise your hand. You might just get rejected by some of your family. You might just get rejected by the church leaders, the gatekeepers even. See, this is what Nicodemus' reality was. Has anyone seen The Chosen? I love it. You will watch it, kids. (laughs) But this, this encounter with Nicodemus was my favorite. When you see Nicodemus and his just so desiring to follow Jesus, but he was so scared of what the implications were. Sometimes following Jesus comes at a cost, friends. And sometimes it comes at a cost of your religious identity. Or the gatekeepers are going to reject you. That's what this is exactly going on here. Are we going to be like Nicodemus and meet with Jesus at night because we're too scared? Or are we going to follow Jesus without fear? <laughs> I could be done right there and just pray for a long time. But I'm not. So we go, Jesus, Nicodemus hangs out with Jesus and he says, hey, you're, you're, we know you're from God because you're doing all this stuff, right? You're, you're performing these signs now. And Jesus says, uh, truly I tell you, unless you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And Nicodemus goes, I'm sorry? Now, this idea of being this, this, this born again, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, those two words. I, first thing I want to let you know, Jesus and Nicodemus didn't speak English to one another, okay? So these words, we, they've been translated is what that means. And born again is close. Many scholars think that born again is close to what Jesus was saying with the, what you, what the original language and the original manuscripts, most of the original manuscripts say. But there might be something better there than born again. And it's this idea of no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born from above, is what many scholars think. Born from above. It's this tiny little difference, but I want to mention it because this idea of being born again is so entrenched in our, in our, in our culture. But many scholars think it might be better thought of as you can't see the things from above unless you are born from above, all right? So Nicodemus freaks out. How can someone be born again when they are old? Uh, surely they can't enter into their mother's womb a second, second time and be born. How can this be? A couple of reasons Nicodemus is freaking out. First, the least consequential but still important to this narrative in John is Nicodemus was a, was a part of the Jewish people, the people of Israel, right? 
And they were a people who thought they were God's chosen people because God told them that. We're God's chosen people. First of all, that's a dangerous language. Even if God does say, you're my chosen people. He says to us, you're my chosen people. That's dangerous. Because you can get really big head thinking that we're God's chosen people. And you can kind of just be like, again, social media, video games, football, take me Jesus. But so he was part of this people group who thought who didn't think that they had to be born again. They thought they were born into it. Does that make sense? We are, this is going to be a theme that we see. It's going to be in John 8. It's going to be in a number of different parts where the Jewish people or the Jewish leaders are saying to Jesus, don't you realize that you're talking to the children of Abraham? They literally thought they had a birthright into life. Birthright into being the chosen ones, the people of God. So this idea of being born again would make no sense. Second, it's just super weird, right? Like, you got to be born again. What, 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 what are you talking about, Jesus? It's not possible. Even back then, they had terrible science. Even back then, Nicodemus was like, what are you talking about? See, here's the deal. Jesus is trying to, he's like, I, uh, do you get the frustration when Jesus replies to him? He's like, bro. I'm trying to communicate the truest, deepest things of the universe, of the cosmos, of reality. It's like this, again, I'm dating myself, a few good men moment where Jack Nicholson is on the stand. He says, you can't handle the truth. Jesus is like, you literally can't handle what I have to tell you. You can't handle and understand these deep things that I have. To, so that's why I have to talk in parables. That's why I have to use word pictures and metaphors and allegory. Because it's just, I'm trying my best here, okay? Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, this religious leader. He's like, I don't get it. And Jesus is like, no, duh. I'm, 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 I'm creating these word pictures. So let's get into this this picture that Jesus is trying to create, this, this metaphor, this, this cartoon almost that Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see. I'm going to read it again. How can a person be born again? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now, there's a lot of debate within biblical scholarship about what that water and Spirit means. Some people think it might mean water is a symbol for the Spirit, but that would be redundant. Some people literally think, I'm not going to go into detail, but that it's like biological, reproductive fluids. Okay? Literally, some biblical scholars think that. And then some people think that it's baptismal waters. And there's more consensus on that one right there, that Jesus is kind of symbolically hinting towards baptismal waters. But here's the thing. We don't know. This is one thing within this passage, one of the things that there's no, cons there's no large consensus about within biblical scholarship. And when I say biblical scholarship, I mean people who have given their entire lives to studying this and all the ancient manuscripts, all right? So we don't know what Jesus meant by there by water and the Spirit. So that means pray, think, enjoy, have fun. Interpret for yourself, literally. Flesh gives birth to flesh, Jesus says, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. He's trying. He's trying to bring 
Nicodemus in. You should not be surprised by me saying you must be born again. Here's the word picture that I want to I think about. I want to dwell in a little bit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. I want you to imagine right now, like this is why I loved worshiping in the park last summer. Imagine the wind. You step outside and you, maybe you're in, wind and trees just go beautifully together, don't they? One of my favorite sounds is when the wind is howling and causing the trees to speak in some ways. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus is trying to awaken our imaginations. There's, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born in the Spirit. And then he, Jesus said, I'm trying to tell you about these deep things of the Spirit, of, of the spirit about heaven, of, about above, and it's, it's really hard to translate. You must be born again, Jesus says. So Jesus is creating this word picture and saying, if you want to, C.S. Lewis said, if you want to know the deeper magic, right? If you want to know the deeper magic, if you want to know the deeper things, if you want to see and feel and enter into what the Spirit is doing, you got to actually be reborn and born into it. He's trying to create this picture. There's this, it's like there's this flow all around you. And every, every moment, there's this flow like the wind. You don't know where it comes from, where it's going, but you feel it. And it's going somewhere, and it cools you, and it, it speaks to you in some ways. And, but again, you can't see it. This is what it's like with the Spirit of God, Jesus is saying. And perhaps, let me, let, me, let me put a different term on this born-again idea that maybe I think helps, under, helps me understand what Jesus is getting at. I think because we think of born-again and we think, again, of a moment, right? I've been born again. Have you been born again? Because here's the prayer that you've got to pray to be born again. And then you're born again. Done. I was born again. I remember I was baptized in December something, 1987. That's my story. Believed in Jesus, got baptized, born again. But see, that's not what Jesus is getting at here, I don't think. He's, he's talking about this. There's this reality that's all around you all the time, Nicodemus, and, and you're oblivious to it, and I'm trying to awaken you to it. And you actually have to be born from above. You have to actually, it's like you're born again. It's like you're actually, you come alive to this new reality, right? This guy that I really enjoy named Aaron Nequist calls it the eternal current. The eternal current, there's this flow that's been happening from all eternity. And that's happening all around you right now. And here, maybe instead of being born again, it's this flow, this, this flow and this current that it's your job to come alive to. And see, it's not this one-time moment born again or coming alive. I'm breathing and now, now it's just automatic. But these things of the Spirit, the movement of the Spirit, the wind of God, the, in Hebrew, it's, the word is ruach. Ruach. If you want to, I don't want to be manipulative, but you can say it with me. Ruach. It's a fun word. 
It literally in Hebrew means wind. And just so you know, it's a feminine word. We've taken some flack around here for referring to the Holy Spirit as she sometimes. And maybe you're listening online or you're here in person, you're like, oh gosh, really? You're that kind of Christian? Here's the deal. Jesus and his followers, his disciples, his contemporaries, the Jewish people would have innately known the Spirit as feminine because it was a feminine word. It's just basic grammar. If you dig in a little bit, you'll find that the, the, the Spirit referred to in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, is a feminine word. And if it really upsets you that much that there's a feminine nature to the Godhead, I'm just going to let you work that out with you and God. But this ruach, this divine wind that Jesus is talking about has been blowing and is blowing everywhere, and it's your job, Jesus is saying, to come alive to it. So let's make this a little bit more concrete. What does it look like to come alive, to be born again, to come alive to this flow, this eternal current of the Spirit of God, the Ruach that's around us all the time. This all sounds very esoteric, doesn't it? Sounds very high-minded, but there's nothing you can really do with it. I want to tell you this is about the most practical stuff I can preach to you. Because, see, for me, coming alive to the Spirit of God means that I'm going to say amen, and I don't do that, but I'm going to be done with my sermon in a little bit. We'll have communion. We'll sing another song. I'm just, you know our liturgy. You know how it goes. And then I'm going to stand back there, and me coming alive, you coming alive to the things of the Spirit, to this eternal current, this flow of the Spirit, means I'm going to try my hardest to see the, spirit, the life of the Spirit in each one of you that I shake hands with and hug and ask how your life is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to keep in mind that you, the Spirit is swirling around you and doing things in and through you, and it's my job to listen and watch for it, right? I'm being born again. And then I'm going to go to the Metro Market, and I'm going to get myself a roll because I like ham and rolls on Sunday afternoons. <laughs> Maybe some German potato salad because I'm a Milwaukeean. And as I do that, I'm going to try to step inside a metro market and say, Spirit, I want to come alive to, your, to what, where you are in this place. As I encounter that person who works at the metro market, I'm going to just be, try to be watching for the Spirit of God in them. And then I'm going to take a nap. It's going to happen. <laughs> Some of you might go back to a quiet home and that quietness is a little bit haunting. Others of us might go home to a really noisy room, really noisy home, and that is driving you absolutely bonkers. And some of you might be in between, but see, coming alive to the things of the Spirit means, can I choose to hear the beauty of relationship and family that is the noise of my kids or my family or friends around me instead of this cacophony of just white noise that is meaningless and it's driving me nuts. Are you with me? Or maybe instead of dreading the silence, I get to take those deep breaths, those belly breaths like BJ was talking about and say, Spirit, you are here. For me, practically, this looked like when I started, I felt like when I started really coming alive to this stuff, 
in this way of coming alive to the flow of the Spirit, this eternal current. It was on my sabbatical, early in my sabbatical, 2019, I took a sabbatical, three months, just cut myself off from all things Bruce City Church. It was the most transformative three months of my life, by the way. Not because I cut myself off from you guys. It's just I had a spiritual director who directed me through it. It's transformative. It was beautiful. But I was cutting my grass. I remember where in my yard I was. It was on my side yard, cutting the grass. I was listening to a podcast like you do. And this guy said, you know, some of us need to just remember that God really likes us. And that's my language, right? Like I've spent a lot of my ministry life trying to convince people that God doesn't just love you, he likes you. And not just he, but God, self, likes you. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good reminder. So boom, push pause on it. I'm like, I'm just going to pray and thank God that you like me. And in that moment, I, I think, I've told this story. I don't remember what venue I've told the story in. But in that moment, I just kind of, it was kind of a throw up in your mouth moment. It's like, oh, I don't like those words. And the irony is that I've, been, I've said those words over and over again, right? It just seemed like, ah, I don't want that. And I, I don't even want to, this is what I was, this is my internal process. Welcome. Um, I was like, I don't even want to pray you like this. I don't want to use words like this. And I felt the Spirit say, now you're on to something. And then I felt this, in, like when people talk about hearing from the Spirit, it's this weird thing. I didn't hear audible words. I just felt, I felt this, this phrase or this thing. I felt the Spirit just directing me, look around you, buddy, because I am everywhere in your neighborhood. And all of a sudden, I literally felt like I was walking on holy ground. And I finished cutting the grass with this mindset of like, I'm walking on sacred ground because the Spirit of God is here. Over at that house, the Spirit of God is there too. In their backyard, the ones that kind of don't like us, the Spirit of God's there too. So I stopped, I finished cutting the grass, and I just sat in my patio in my backyard by myself. And I just breathed and sat there. And I felt like I was coming alive to this eternal current that's been in my neighborhood long before it was a neighborhood, when there was native people there, when there was, who knows the whole existence that that land that I was standing on has been there, the Spirit of God has been there. And so now my job is to sit on the couch with my family and to say, Spirit of God, you're here. Now my job is to be with different people groups, right? Say, Spirit of God, you are here. And what we'll find, friends, this is this picture that John's creating with this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus, and Nicodemus not getting it. It's hearkening back to the prologue of John. To where? John said, the word, the word is just that, this theological term for Jesus, the word came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. His own did not recognize him. That haunts me because guess what? I wonder, it makes me wonder. You, you can think for yourself, but it makes me wonder if Jesus came back tomorrow, would I recognize him? Would I receive him? Because, see, I think I'm Jesus' own. I'm that religious person. I'm Nicodemus. You, we are the 
the people of God, the religious ones, would we even recognize them or would we have to go to the marginalized, unchurchy people who recognize Jesus when they see him? So my job, that means, is to not just kind of relax and say, I've been born again. I'm in. My job for the last 44 years has been to come alive to the Spirit of God that's all around me all the time, every moment, every place I'm in, my workplace, my school, my church. And if God gives me 44 more years, my job, my delight is to continually come alive more and more to the Spirit of God, this eternal current, the Ruach, the wind of God that's blowing everywhere and everyone all the time. And it's my job to see it and step into it and be saved by it. I'm not going to pray right now. It's what I do at the end of sermons usually. This is the end of the sermon. I want to grab the communion elements and this week, I'm just going to pray our way through. We're going to pray our way through taking communion together. So, BJ, can you come on up? And I'm just going to invite you to come and receive the elements. We have these COVID-friendly communion things where it, you get obnoxiously remove one plastic film and you have the wafer, and then you remove the other one and you have the juice. Come up and grab it, and then go back in your seat and let's take it together. All right, so. Let's have BJ play some music so it doesn't feel awkward. And then you can come up the middle aisle, leave down the side aisles, grab your seat again, and hold on to your stuff, and we'll take it together. Give me a second to sanitize. <laughs>